Right, I think I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining me. It's time for another podcast episode. So in this week's episode, I speak to Dylan Torival, uh, a.k.a. 3D Dill. If you've... Uh, been following the podcast for a while you will know that i had a conversation with him august last year and uh, when we spoke to him last time he was still interning in australia on the daily talk show <coughs> since then he has gone back to canada shortly after that he went back to canada to finish off his final year of studies i decided to catch up with dylan and find out how his studies went uh, how the pandemic has affected him and what's what's currently happening in canada as well as to find out what his future plans are. So, without wasting any more time, here's that conversation. That's the story of it. What can I buy now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they've got quite, quite a few options here in South Africa. I mean, they are a little, a little bit expensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, in comparison to other caps. Although, I, uh, I don't tell the truth, because if you were to buy... Uh, Authentic, say like um, what's the New York Yankees or you know any of those American baseball or yeah those are whatever crazy expensive yeah they're crazy expensive and I mean I you know I had to decide whether do I oh, the do I wear this one or oh man <laughs> yeah I bought this I bought this the last time I was in Canada oh, I love that I said like I had to buy one of these caps I love that before I left <laughs> yeah so. Uh, Right, how you been, man? Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Been That's cool. It's been weird. Like it's a stark difference from the last time that we talked. Uh, yes. But I mean, all things considered, all things considered, I'm doing absolutely fine because I'm healthy, right? And that's kind of the important that's good, thing. Yeah. So Absolutely, yeah. So I was checking the last time we chatted was in August last year. Yeah. Was that before or after you left Australia? Um, if it was August, I was, I, was, was, still, just I was still in Australia. I was in Australia up until okay. basically my birthday, which is right up to, at the end of August. Okay. When is your birthday in August? Uh, August 28th, end of the month. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah so, um, so when you went back to Canada, I mean, obviously when it, was, uh, it was a bit of an adjustment because you went back into your studies, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I... I flew back on the 27th of August and I was actually, I was in the air on my birthday and then school started for me anyways on September 3rd. My semester started September 3rd and I had to move into the house that I'm living at in the city on September 1st. So I was home for three days and then I was back living on my own again. So it was, it was a super okay. quick transition, like within a week, basically I went from coming back from overseas, moving back home, unpacking everything and then packing everything back up once again and then jumping ship and moving to another place. Yeah. I mean, what was it like to be back home after being in Australia? You were in Australia for six months? Uh, I was in a, a four months. Just, yeah. Four, four months. months. Um, I would have liked six months. That would have been awesome. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was quite strange. Um, one thing that I remember when I first got to Australia was just looking around and seeing how different all the trees were like just seeing okay. the gum trees and everything, which is totally different from the trees that we have here in Canada. And that was something that I never, it was like, it was a, a difference that I never even thought to process before I went there. So when I got there, I see all these different trees. I was kind of shocked and then come back yeah. to Canada. I'm looking around and I'm thinking like, where's the gum trees? And like, where's, where's all just the open fields? <laughs> And coming yeah. coming back, the my first when when the plane landed in Toronto, it was um, an extremely humid and just hot, muggy day, and it was like it was yeah. obviously still summer, end of summer there. And I'd been in Australia for four months in winter, and I was used to the kind of ten to fifteen degrees, sunny, a little bit of a breeze. I was used to that for four months. Yeah. And then I come back and it's yeah. just this hot, thick air and it's just sweaty. And I was like, oh, I want to get back on that plane <laughs> and I want to go back. It was, 
it was brutal, but it was quite strange. And even like coming back and coming back into my room for the first time in four months, I'm like, oh, this is like all the stuff is exactly where I left it and it hasn't been touched in four months. But it, at first it was almost like, is this, it still felt like I was going into a hotel room. It was like, yeah, kind of like the, just this sterile <laughs> environment that had been on hold for four months basically. But it was good to get back, like waking up the next morning um trying to kill the jet lag and I'm looking around I'm like I'm I'm back home now and two days ago I was on yeah. the other side of the planet is it's it's a yeah, weird, it's weird but kind of a kind of a cool kind of a cool feeling especially when it's been especially since it was so long like four months yeah. so it was good yeah good to be back yeah and I'm sure your family was happy to see you back oh yeah they were super happy like I had my sister my sisters and my mom and my dad came and picked me up at the airport and they were all like my little sister. I have two two younger sisters. One of them's nineteen, and then the other one's eleven. So naturally, the eleven year old was like just starting to cry when she saw me walk through the gates because it was like mm. it's been so long. And no, it was it was really good to see everybody when I came back because I even being away for four months, I missed both my parents' birthdays and um, Mother's Day and Father's Day. So that was and I yeah. had never missed those days beforehand. So it was, it was kind of weird. So it was nice to come back um, and just be able to see them again. And now it's kind of like, well, I'm forced to see them every single day because I can't go out anywhere. So and everything's slowly <laughs> yeah. balancing out. So um, are, you, are you back at home or are you still living in the place that you're living in? I'm back home now because the lease that I had for when I was living in Toronto ended at the end of um, April. Um, but here okay. when we, we started noticing cases of COVID around like the beginning of March and then by March 13th, I had come home for the weekend for school to like buy groceries and stuff. And then over that weekend, they put in a state of emergency and shut everything down. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be home for good now. So a few days later I went and I just moved all my stuff out. So I moved out a month and a half early from when I was supposed okay. to, but no, I'm back home in the, in the parents' house now. It kind of feels like I'm back in high school again, to be honest. <laughs> <kinda> weird. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, how did it affect your studies, the whole sort of like state of emergency? Oh, uh, well, it wasn't ideal. That's for sure. It, um, we were supposed to have, um, we basically had a month left. So my semester ended on April or was supposed to end April 17th. And we essentially got kicked out and everything shut down on March. They closed the school officially on March 16th. So essentially one month beforehand. And we had a client project that we were working with um, and our thesis class and kind of just another bird course that was just super easy anyway. So it was kind of weird. They basically gave us a week off so that the profs could figure everything out because obviously it was a big transition to go from teaching in class and then all of a sudden not being able to be in class and you're kind of like, well, how's how's this going to work? So they gave us the week off. We kind of just waited to see what the profs were going to say. And they came back and said, this is how we're going to do things going forward. And everyone kind of accepted it. So it impacted the studies in the sense that getting critical feedback was a bit harder on these projects, um, just because obviously we couldn't sit down with them in person. And there's only so much kind of coherence that you can get through something like a Zoom call, for example. Yeah. But, um, and like for the thesis class where we have to make a physical model of our design. I'm fortunate enough that I have like my dad and I have a garage space and we have a workshop area that we can use. But I know that some other of my classmates don't have that. Like some of them live in apartments and that's can't spray paint an apartment because that's just, it's just poison. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was fortunate enough to be able to finish my model with the space and the amenities that I had. Um, so it didn't affect me too much. But I know it did have a big effect on other kids who obviously didn't have that access. But like we still got all the projects done. We still got everything handed in on time, still got all the marks submitted and got the marks back that we needed to. 
it it didn't it was strange and it was especially for our last month of school for some of us potentially ever it was definitely not the way that any of us wanted it to end but and like some kids were obviously just super frustrated with it some of them just didn't want anything to do with this whole online school thing for finishing up the the thesis year but i figured you know what if i can just get it done then i don't have to worry about it and it can be yeah then it's done yeah i don't have to deal with it anymore after that so that's how i approached it and it it turned out well so made the most that's good because i mean that so the last time we were chatting you were you were still had ideas of what your thesis was going to be on or doing what you were going to do yeah what did you eventually uh, settle on so it was it was kind of, it's kind of a weird it's a long process on how they help us determine our topics so back when we spoke the last time on the podcast was in august i still would have been going through the problem identification phase where they ask us to go through and highlight 10 potential problem areas and from those 10 potential problem areas we obviously have to go through a bunch of criteria and write a bunch of stuff out to kind of prove the point that this is worth doing. And obviously there's some ideas that are better than others. So from those 10 problem identification statements, we narrow it down to five and then we narrow it down to three. And then from those three, we pick one. And that typically happens around the end of September. And the identification of the 10 starts in beginning of May, basically. So for the time that I was in Australia, like the time that we last chatted on the podcast, it was still figuring out those 10. And then once we got back to school, we were able to narrow it down to five, three, and then finally pick the final topic. So, and the choosing the final topic is all based on another set of criteria, which is, can you make this project last for four months? Is there enough content, enough detail to research for eight months? Because there's some that you could get done in a month or two months right yeah so and there's obvious there obviously has to be a credible opportunity to design something unique in that place so the topic that i ended up going with which was curated and kind of edited down to meet their criteria and also encourage that there was eight months worth of research to do here was and they like to phrase it with a how may we statement at the beginning. So it was how may we mitigate challenges facing marine biologists in the Canadian Arctic. So it was all about just being specific and focusing and focusing and focusing, kind of making it as refined as possible. Because the initial one was how may we aid or how may we improve the productivity of marine researchers? It's like, well, aiding the productivity is a bit generic. And a marine researcher could be anywhere in the world, like you could be studying sharks in South Africa or you could be doing stuff in the Antarctic. It could be anywhere. So that was why it became more and more focused because that just helps, especially helps with the research, right? So yeah, yeah, solving, solving challenges for marine biologists in the Canadian Arctic was what I ended up doing for, for eight months. Long story short. And what was the, and what was the, uh, the solution? Well, the solution is the way that the profs like to kind of tailor it is that it's all um, research-based design. So we have to go out, we have to do interviews, um, obviously like literature reviews online, reading research documents, which is (laughs) kind of boring. Um, (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Yeah, just, oh, man. But the uh, how many of them did you get three? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. I think my final report had like seventy-one or seventy-two different research document sources. But the solution, oh, wow. the solution ended up being um, an amphibious mobile research station, which essentially is a highly mobile mode of mode of transport for these researchers. And all, a lot of it's very conceptual because a lot of the engineering. You can't prove the engineering in an eight-month period, um, sure. but kind of puts these uh, the researchers in uh, maybe you would call it like a super advanced glorified bus on these giant wheels, and it can kind of just crawl around the Arctic. And there's this unique observation pod thing that 
can deploy beneath the ice with these robotic arms and allows the researchers basically to be underneath the ice so that if they're in the example of they're studying whales and they know there's whales nearby, they can be underneath the ice studying and observing in the marine environment as opposed to just relying on what's in the air. And a lot of the the research focused around creating a more environmentally sustainable solution because a lot of the current methods that exist um, either use gasoline or propane-fueled machines or helicopters, and helicopters are naturally very expensive, and just the physical cost to operate them is super expensive, and a lot of times weather has a big impact on whether or not they're actually able to go out and use this equipment, like even a snowmobile, you can't go out riding a snowmobile in negative 50 degree weather. So the aim of my solution was kind of create an enclosed space that protects them from the outside environment, but still allows them to move around on the ice itself and essentially just be a more, try and be more sustainable in all aspects and give them the space to analyze data on site as opposed to having to go out get the stuff, go back, analyze it, go back out, wait and hope you find something and then come back. Because it was a, currently, it's a lot of just start here and then go there and then go all the way back. Whereas what I tried to pitch with my concept was you can leave here, you can stay here and you can do what you need to do. And then you can move on to another spot and then another spot and then another spot. And when you're finally done, then you can leave. Okay. So that that's was cool. long story short again. No, that's cool. Long and story, it sounds awesome. Long story longer. <laughs> and uh, when you when you were creating your model and all that, did you get to use your 3D printer? Oh, I abused my 3D printer. It was <laughs> it was great. I had it going. I started printing parts for it on Valentine's Day. So February 14th, I started printing and I took the last part off the print bed. Um, on March 11th and it was going basically every single day yeah all the time wow uh there was one there were two prints that took 36 hours each so for basically three days they were just doing these these two parts that I would then have to glue together and uh, the final thing weighs like almost eight kilograms just because there's there's so much plastic on it but uh I'm, I've I've given the 3D printers right below my desk here now, so I'm I'm okay. giving it a break. Bit of a rest. Uh, yeah, it it needs it. It started yeah. screwing up, and I had like just a handful of parts left to build, and it just started just doing all this weird stuff. The either the bed wasn't level, or the extruder was too hot, or I thought the extruder was broken because it messed up like four prints in a row, and I'm just sitting oh, here yeah. panicking like, mm. no, you need to work, you need to work. I need to get this done, but uh, I just did. A, I just reset like every possible setting on it, and it worked fine. Good. <laughs> Turned it off and on again, and it worked fine. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I, I was telling you that I've uh, been using mine to print these um, frames for these face shields yeah. for the guys here, for the health health workers. So one of the universities mm-hmm. here. Uh, UJ, which is the University of Johannesburg, uh, contacted, uh, contacted oh, me yeah. and asked me if I would um, be willing to donate. So I'm just using whatever filaments I've got oh, left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I'm just just printing yeah. as many as I can. Yeah. So my print is also I mean, just going 24 hours a day, all the seven time. days a week. It's a good. Yeah. It th- I think it's a good thing to do. Like I tried to get a hold of some filament because I had used up all mine for school. Yeah. I tried to get a hold of it once this thing started really going off and the cases started going up and everyone was like, there's there's a demand for this and we need a, just a more feasible solution for it. But I couldn't, even now, uh, at least where I am on Amazon, it's, it's still taking like four weeks to ship filament right. in at the, yeah. at the earliest date. Um, just because I think everybody has been buying it, so. Mm. But also, a lot of the stuff is made in China, so there's been a bit of a, yeah, like a bit of a delay there because they closed their factories. Because uh, here in South Africa, um, 
like just computer spares, computer parts, laptops, that kind of thing. The guys are talking two, three months. Back like really? back order, yeah. Wow. Uh, so it's getting hectic. So I mean, what's it like now in uh, in Canada in Toronto? Uh, with I mean, you guys still locked down. What's what yeah. can and can't you do? Um, basically, what can't you do is most everything. You can't um, maximum amount of people you can have in kind of a setting is five people, and they should all live in your house as far as what I'm concerned, as far as I know. Um, There's no group gatherings. Um, They're only just starting to open up uh, businesses that have like roadside access or curbside access. They're allowing those businesses to open that are considered non-essential, allowing those businesses to open to do curbside pickup basically. So a customer could order stuff online and then the person in the store kind of gets it ready and then brings it out, puts it on the curb. We went to get cat food for my cat yesterday, and um, the girl was inside the store and had like a set of tables blocking the door. So then she opened the door and said, what can I get you, and stood like a good 10 feet back, and I said, "And we need this bag of whatever cat food. So she went, got the cat food, um, and then to pay, um, there's like a big window at the front, and then okay. they had taped out a sign that says, place credit card here. So she stands on one side of the glass and then holds up the machine and we stand on the other side and put the credit card and it reads, it reads through the glass. Yeah. This is just strange, but they've like, it's just so bizarre, but Mm. most, most places in the city are still, are still closed. Like we've got two giant highways that go in and out of the city and even on a quiet day, they're still packed. Um, but now they're they're virtually empty. Empty, it's yeah. Kind of like, it's kind of like a scene from The Walking Dead. I remember in the first season, and you just see the empty road leading into the abandoned city. It almost looks exactly like that. It's full on. It's crazy when you think at, uh, at how busy it can be, you know. Yeah. And now, like now, it's nothing, you know. It's hectic. Yeah, it's, it, it's still hard to kind of understand because it doesn't seem like something that should be happening in this time and place and in this world that we have. Yeah. But I mean, it is. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like someone saying the world's on fire and you look outside and nothing's burning. You're like, <laughs> but there's, it looks fine. Yeah, it looks so, fine, yeah. It's, uh, how is it where you are, though? So, yeah, so South Africa, they locked down fairly quickly. Uh, so towards the end of, um, end of March, they... Oh, yeah did a national lockdown and basically you weren't allowed to go to work. Uh, nothing. The only thing you could do was go to the supermarket and the pharmacy, the chemist, yeah. Yeah. drugstore. Um, what else? Um, and essential workers, like whether right. if you were, um, you know, like essential workers, yeah. yeah. You know, um, what's an emergency services that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, supermarkets, yeah. yeah. So supermarkets were open, but then what they were doing is that they were like, um, they weren't doing it everywhere, but they would like only let a certain number of people go into the supermarket at a time. Right. Um, social distancing in the supermarket. Yeah. Um, what else was there? And then it's, it's, it's opened up a little bit. We've gone, we've gone from what was known as, we've got different levels. And so... Yeah. The total lockdown was level five, and mm-hmm. now we've gone down to level four, where okay. some things are, are um, uh, you can people can go back to work, oh, but yeah. if you um, can work from home, they recommend that you work from home, and if the people are going back to work, only thirty percent of the workforce is allowed to go back, and then um, so like one thing that they so you're not allowed, but there's no alcohol. And no cigarettes that are allowed to be sold. I saw right. that. I saw that. Yes, I tell you what, the people are bitching and moaning. It's like <laughs> the people are starting to go mental. But I, you know, I actually don't understand. I don't actually understand the rationale behind it because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, they gave some figures of how much revenue the government has lost, the tax revenue service has lost, due to there not being sale of cigarettes and 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 alcohol. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, it's like astronomical, right? Yeah. And then, um, and also like, I mean, can, you can just imagine a person that smokes on a regular basis. Okay, I don't smoke, so, but I mean, yeah. I know, you know, people are gonna, it's they're gonna people are gonna be edgy, and now what's happening is they're buying the stuff on the black market, and yeah. um, so I mean, from a health point of view, if they really worried about people's health. I mean, they're going and buying these cigarettes that are off the black market. You don't even know where they're coming from. You don't even know what chemicals are in them. Exactly. So people are actually, so I don't know. You know, I don't agree with it. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. Uh, and then, uh, then like, so for instance, like restaurants and uh, takeaway joints and all that, they, they had to close. They weren't even allowed to deliver or do the curbside thing. Uh, they've now opened that up, so restaurant um, uh, restaurants can uh, can be open, but only for delivery. So, like now, uh, Uber Eats and that kind of stuff, you can order stuff like that. And then um, online sales, they you could only buy essential items. So there would be groceries and that kind of stuff. But they then opened it up to um, when they were starting to talk about open the schools again. They then said, okay, then that's fine. You can buy electronics. So like laptops, computers, stationery, oh. that kind of stuff. And now I think it was yesterday that they said, okay, all online stores, you know, you can buy anything online now. So right. the guys are wow. back and uh, up and running there. So we've wow. got a service which is, I suppose, like South Africa's version of Amazon. It's called Take right. A Lot. And okay. uh, yeah, so you can basically, they've opened up everything on their on their store now so that's great i mean i've been ordering oh, i love ordering stuff online <laughs> <laughs> i love i love receiving stuff so you know i've um actually what i've done it was so funny because just before um before the lockdown i was building setting up a podcast studio space which i'm actually in at the moment and um just before the lockdown i was probably like 90 percent finished and then we had the lockdown, so all construction work and all that wasn't allowed to uh, wasn't allowed to go on. But um, so, but I've finished off now in the last week. Just finished off the final bits and pieces. You know, it was just like um, getting some network cable in, sorting out the electrics. Um, I've hung up some curtains here just to do some some sound dampening and that kind of stuff. But. Um, but then I thought, oh, I need a need another monitor, and oh, so I could order stuff online. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. like all my bits and pieces. <laughs> I did the same thing when I got back. I was like, oh, I can get a, I can get a monitor. I can get if I get a monitor and I put my laptop over there, then I'm going to yeah. need a wireless keyboard. Oh yeah. If I need course. a wireless keyboard, I'm going to need a wireless trackpad and a wireless mouse just in case I need to use both. So the credit card's just been going just. <laughs> It's like I'll yeah. pay. I'll pay it back at some point. Yeah, cool. So, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and now that you've finished um, your thesis and all that, what's the what's the plan? Well, under the under, current circumstances. Under current circumstances, um, I've been see why while this thing sucks, and while it sucks that everyone has to be locked inside, and the state that we're in isn't necessarily great. It's given me the time it's given me like two months off of any responsibility so i've been able to take that time and use that time um and build up my portfolio that i didn't have the time to do in school so that i can actually now go have that as an asset and use that to apply for jobs it's given me the opportunity obviously to just refine my resume build up my website which i basically like i bought the domain and just didn't use it for almost a year because I just had no time to properly dedicate the effort to, because I was trying to do school and trying to just do all this other stuff. So basically, since I finished, since the day that I submitted my thesis, I've just been going through and working on um, the portfolios for different projects in school, working on the website, trying to learn all this SEO stuff and kind of just make everything, try and build up a profile and a market for myself so that when everything comes down and I can go out and prop properly apply for a job, 
I hopefully stand out a bit more than what I did before. So figured if, if I'm going to be locked inside for a number of months at a time, I might, might as well make a productive use of it. Um, so there's, um, there's a job opening at a bike company in the U.S. actually, but um, I've ridden their bikes a bunch, Trek bikes. They've okay. got uh, an opening for a helmet designer, and I've had a connection at the company for just over a year now. We like me and the one of the industrial designers there connected on LinkedIn, and I've chatted a bit. So I'm gonna try for that job anyway, and if I can be super fortunate and get it and work remotely for the first bit, then that's cool too. If not, then it's it's just a learning curve and just kind of roll with the punches and apply for apply for other jobs like I'll put my name out there because I don't want to just not do that for four months because there is like you were saying especially with the face masks like there is a need for designers or manufacturers and people to help with stuff yeah so I don't absolutely I don't just want to stop for four months or however long it ends up being but it's there's definitely not as many um, jobs or even internship opportunities like a lot of the third year students that are in the school now that were supposed to be in the position that I was last year where I had applied for an internship and gone out and gotten the place and worked worked at the place for four months. A lot of those kids had their internships canceled because the business either had to shut down or the business was working remotely and or the business just couldn't sustain. If it was a paid internship, the business just couldn't sustain bringing on another full-time employee for four months, especially during what's going on. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, this been... thing is going to change change the, the, the world landscape, mm-hmm. in, you know, indefinitely. I think, I think things eventually will go back to some sort of level of normality, but I think the kind of, you know, this kind of situation creates new opportunities, changes the way that we work, the way mm-hmm. that we behave, like, like for instance, uh, you know, in South Africa, online, um, you know, online shopping, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's been growing every year, but it's there are a lot of people that don't do it because they're scared of credit card fraud or whatever yeah. it is, and um, I think this is now going to force those people to use it because uh, it's the only way you can buy some of the stuff, and yeah, no. they're going to realize it's not that bad. And after this, online shopping is going to be a thing. South yeah, Africa. it's going to be huge or, or more, or more than, than it was before you know and like for instance like now I've been working from home since the end of February really and you know I work in in, in IT I do um, you know software support and development mm-hmm. uh, you know work a lot with data and all that kind of stuff and I mean I've got good broadband connection at home and I've got the workspace and I there is nothing in my job that I can't do from home. Mm-hmm. So like now, all of a sudden, like the guys are now saying, okay, well, you know, do we really need the office office space that we have? Because yeah. we already were thinking of moving um, because oh, yeah. um, our main offices are, are, are downtown Johannesburg, which is can be a little bit um, dodgy after hours. Right. And um, so there's been a lot of talk about, okay, moving um, to a new premises and all that kind of stuff. And it's just come at this time now, uh, you know, a large portion of the workforce are working from home. So so I think that's going to change as well. Because before there was this like oh, a little bit of reluctance to allowing you to work from home. I don't know if it was a trust issue or because, I mean, we could always do it. We had the facilities. And also the collaboration mm-hmm. tools have just been getting better and better every year. Oh, so yeah. the last five years, I mean, uh, we were using Skype for Business. Now we're using Microsoft Teams. Um, mm. So... You know, as a collaboration tool, and also people were very reluctant to use those tools for collaboration, and now they yeah. have to. And the functionality that you would norm- normally just not even use because ugh, it's just easier to do it other in traditional ways. Now yeah. all of a sudden you've had to use these features. You had to learn how to use the application properly. And now I think things are just going to be different from that point of view. Um, okay. I mean, you're talking yeah. about about the third-year students and internships and everything. My daughter's in, in her final year of high school. Oh, so man. so first of all, I mean, this is her last year of school. So this is the year that she was supposed to, you know, pull out, pull out all the stops. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, now she's had to become accustomed to 
doing online learning, right? Oh. Um, so it's like, it's bad timing. But the way I see it is that, the way that, the way that I see it is that it's actually a good opportunity for her to learn this discipline of, um, you know, learning, online learning, uh, learning, distance learning, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, when I left school, I went and I studied at an institution and, you know, you go to lectures and you bunk, or skip lectures and, you know, you know the whole thing. And um, mm-hmm. I only really learned how to structure my, my time and studying and all that when I did a, um, a, a degree via distance learning. And that's when I became, I had to become disciplined. I had to create a schedule. I had to... You know, um, you know, get in, uh, get the work in to be able to submit the assignments, and you know, um, plan my studies so that when the exams came, you know, there were no lecturers, or you know, if you didn't understand something, you had to find out how to, you had to find out how to um, answer the question, or yeah. you know, collaborate with your um, fellow students, or whatever it was. So, you know, in a way, I'm thinking it's actually beneficial for my daughter because, like, now she's going to be like almost fast tracked into that sort of discipline. Where yeah, she, she might have only really kicked in second or third year of varsity or whatever it was, so yeah. I think it's good. You know, even though and like now, I mean, um, I think last Friday was supposed to be her what we call matric dance. I suppose I don't know the Americans would call it prom. I think okay, what the yeah. what the what yeah what, prom, what did the Aussies call it? They called like it um, formal. Their formal yeah, dance yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. That's so, I mean, she hasn't had to have one of those. And, I mean, you know, like uh, in, in high school, you're looking forward to this, this, this event, you know, the social yeah. event at school. It's, and, it's, well, it's and the big thing. It's the big yeah, thing everyone looks forward to. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe, maybe they might ha- be able to have it this year. Maybe they won't. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully. That's a bit sad. It's, it's kind of like a rite of – like especially in American culture, it's kind of like a rite of passage like – you finish high school and you go to prom. That's yes. like, that's given. And I know yeah. a lot, I think they've postponed some until like November here okay. for some schools. Um, like I was supposed to have my convocation where I walk across a stage and pick up my degree in a big hat yeah. and a robe. That was supposed to be, I think a month from now, actually, in sometime in the middle of June. But obviously that won't happen because there's something like 4,000 kids that have to go there. And then if 4,000 kids bring both of their parents, then that's like at least 12,000 people. Um, that's so that's bigger. not going to happen. So it's not going to yeah. happen. But I, I want to say they pushed it off to September or November, hopefully. Yeah. We have to see how it goes, right? Mm. Yeah, it is. yeah. so I think, and I mean, like for you in the kind of position that you're in, you know, the kind of industry that you're in, mm-hmm. I think this kind of thing is going to create new problems that we didn't Absolutely. have before. And it's the type of, uh, you know, your type of industry that's going to come up with these solutions, you know, exactly. to these problems. Yeah, so I think I think it does create some opportunities, but obviously it creates some issues for other people. Uh, look, oh, I mean, yeah. I feel very sorry for the small to medium-sized businesses in South Africa because they're not operating. Some of them mm-hmm. can, but a friend of mine who's in construction, he can't. He can't get going. I've got lots of friends that are musicians; they can't go and do low, uh, live gigs or whatever. So oh. they're having to resort to the online stuff. But everyone's doing online stuff now. Um, yeah. You know, even like in the podcasting thing, um, all of a sudden I've noticed there's so many podcasts that have popped up. In South Africa, and I suppose in a way it's good because South Africa's podcast industry has been a bit slow. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work and you spend your life educating people about, okay, what a podcast is, uh, okay, why should I be listening to it, oh, where can I find it, etc. Now all of a sudden in the last three weeks, it's like all these podca- uh, podcasts are popping up everywhere because people, yeah, exactly. But it's a good thing for the podcast industry, if you want to put it that way. You know, mm-hmm. at first yeah. you go, oh, shit, you know, there's competition. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, I've got to step up my mm-hmm. game kind of thing. Um, exactly. And uh, so, like, like, I had a moment there, I have to admit. But, um, but the thing is good for the industry because now all of a sudden people got more time, so they're listening and consuming more content and more podcasts popping up. So, uh, you know, it's, I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely good. And if, if there's more people out there and there's more competition – and that 
only acts as a motivator for you to produce even more and more yeah. high quality yeah, stuff, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, yeah, and, and I mean, I've, I experienced this when I got into 3D printing four or five years ago, is mm -hmm. that, you know, 3D printers were, were, were very scarce. Um, they were expensive. Not many people had them. Not many people knew what it was about. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't even understand what you could do with it. And now all of a sudden there are lots of 3D printers. But the thing is, is that the industry has grown, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So there's this like, you know, it's not as if, so I mean, I do it as a service. In other words, like people contact me and I'll print for them. Um, yeah. I have seen a dip in that. But I mean, I don't advertise a lot. Where I used to adv advertise a lot more than I do now. And I used mm -hmm. to do like sort of like almost like cold calling. But it was more like going to educate people about what was possible with 3D printers. Mm -hmm. So I think people have now realized what that is. They've seen the value of it and then gone and bought their own printer instead of yeah. coming to someone like me that offers it as a service. And the same thing is happening with, with podcasts. I mean, um, I mean, a guy contacted me the other day and asked me, okay, can I help him with um, OBS and setting up Skype? And he had heard about me from another guy, another podcaster, so oh, yeah. you know it's it's yeah so the, you know things do change but I think it's for the best you know oh absolutely it's, it's good you always have yeah. to look at the bright side of the the situation that you're in otherwise it's just it's just so easy to get down about it and it is it's easy to look at the negative side of it because it's right there all the time but I think being able to ignore it and look at the positive like you were saying like creates more competition but it pushes me it's growing the network. I'm now connecting with a bunch of these other people. I can now help educate people. I think that's an important thing to take away as well. Yeah, and I think I think also like uh, um, like for you, I mean, you like the natural thing would be okay. You finish your studies. Are you going to find a job? Okay, mm -hmm. well, okay, well, that might not be as easy as it as it used to be, kind of thing. So you're going to maybe look at the situation differently. You're going to start looking for opportunities that you might never have looked for before, or you know, whatever it might be, you know, it just means that you just look at the situation differently. Um, exactly. Which is, which is cool, yeah. Definitely. And uh, you haven't thought about writing another book? Uh, I've thought about it. Not seriously, but I've thought about it. Yeah. Um, it's funny because the book, like the book is still on Amazon and it's still available for, for download or for purchase, but I can't. There's a way that technically, as the creator of the book, I can go in and I can put it on sale through accessing my account. However, I created that account and I'd registered the ISBN with my, unknowingly at the time, registered it with my Australian phone number, which is now no longer <laughs> active. And Amazon has this great setup where they use two-step authentication. So one of them sends you an email, which is still active, and it then sends you a text asking you to enter in a code and that code <laughs> is no longer valid because the phone number is no longer active, but they don't know oh, that. Shit. And the only way to get in contact with them to change that is to call them at from that number, support, from uh, that number yeah. through the support service. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, well, we'll just leave it at uh, that. Okay. I'll figure out a way around <laughs> it eventually. I'm sure trying yeah. to reactivate the number or something. And yeah, but yeah, I've um, thought about it, but I don't know what I would write it about. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write it about what I do. Maybe I'll write it in a year about what I did this past year. Sure. Especially yeah. in this time, because that could be kind of interesting. Still trying to figure it out. Still, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> it out part two. Part two. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, geez, I was going to ask you something that's gone out of my head. Oh, shit. Anyway, no, it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask you about your photography. I mean, is that is that a hobby of yours? I mean, always been a hobby, or did you? Ah, oh, see, this is a this is a great story, and I love talking about this because it was back when, back when I went to Australia, I had this um, like a Sony digital zoom camera, and I didn't. Growing up, I thought I knew how to take pictures, and I thought I knew what photography was all about. Um, but I think that's kind of the same of thing of like anyone with a smartphone goes around and takes a picture of a flower, thinks they know how to take pictures. Um, so, and like working with Tommy and Josh and Mason at 
um, the daily talk show and big media, even just seeing how Josh would, when we would go out onto a shoot and we would film stuff, just watching how he held the camera and like listening to how him and Tommy would talk back and forth about these different things that I thought I understood, but turns out I had no idea at all. That kind of made me think of like, okay, well, I have a camera and I know how to turn it on and I know how to click the shutter button, but I genuinely don't know how to use it. I thought I did, um, yeah. but it turns out I really didn't. So when I, when I came back from Australia, uh, we, had, we had the Sony camera, which I took with me, which was, they were kind of just like your average family camera that you would get if you want to take pictures at a birthday party or whatever. Um, but my dad had bought an older Canon DSLR, like a beginner level DSLR for my younger sister when she was in high school, taking the photography class in high school. And one of the requirements was like a DSLR and it, it's like less than a hundred or like less than 500 bucks. So it's relatively okay. affordable. Um, and it still has like the two basic kit lenses, like a zoom lens and then just a wide angle. So I took those and took those to school with me and just started playing around and trying to learn all these different things. And then once I started to learn how to use it and the quality of the images started getting better and like composition started getting better and all these different things, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to understand it. And then that obviously just motivated me just to do it more and more and more. So then I'm thinking I have to buy a hard drive now because I have all these pictures on an SD card <laughs> yes. and I have to buy more SD cards because I'm running out of room and then I thought I was like well what if I buy a microphone and like start making videos like I wanted to do when I was in Australia so I did that and then I found my mom's old um 35 millimeter film camera so I bought oh, nice. a, bought a bunch of film recently actually I spent like a hundred bucks on 35 millimeter film to use during this isolation time I've just been firing those off and then thinking, okay, well, I have an image now. Now how do I go about posting it online or how do I figure out editing? Like, It's so easy to over-edit a photo, I've noticed, and I've done it yeah. thousands of times. So now it's been like, okay, well, now I can properly learn how to use Lightroom and I can properly learn how to take a portrait or take a landscape photo. And it's, uh, it's, it's still a hobby because I don't make money from it, obviously. It would be nice. I'd like to, um, it's something I can see myself getting into as kind of like a freelance gig with the photography. So yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this guy, I don't, I don't know, have you got TikTok? No, I don't. No, don't, don't get TikTok. <laughs> I promise you'll regret it. But anyway, there's a guy on there, there's a photographer on there and, mm -hmm. um, he his story is that he got kicked out of photography school, right? Yeah. We'll take that. We'll take that. Um, we'll we'll believe him on that one. But yeah. um, so what he started doing is he started taking these like um, just going up to random people and just asking them if he could take their photos, like portrait. Oh yeah, mainly girls, obviously. And um, but I mean seriously, the guy has has been taking some awesome photos, and now yeah. for every photo that he posts on 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 TikTok. Um, I think he's getting a million views. Wow! And uh, he's apparently he's doing it full time now. So you know, I don't That's know what his revenue stream is. I don't know how he makes money from it. But um, yeah. what I'm saying is, I'm just saying is that they're theoretically a guy who didn't hack it in in film school has gone mm -hmm. and created some opportunity for himself using yeah. some social media platform. But the guy takes good photos. I mean. Um, yeah. I'll send you. I'll send you his uh, his. Um, or maybe I shouldn't because then you're gonna go on TikTok. Then I have to get. TikTok. Maybe maybe I'll send no, you I'll his send Instagram. It, just to see it. I'll download it. Just to yeah see yeah that. yeah yeah. Well, listen, dude. I lose time on TikTok. It's uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what the deal is with TikTok. I mean, I'm just gonna check for five minutes, two hours later, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. All my yeah. friends and I'm like, I I refuse to get it just because you're on it all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, other than, um, say, like the photography aspects, I mean, what else did you take away from your experience with um, Tommy and Josh? Definitely a lot about um, working for myself and kind of creating my own opportunity for things. Like, obviously, like Josh and Tommy had worked 
for companies and worked for other people for a long time before starting the podcast and starting big media company together. But it's made me see that even if I end up working for a company or an agency for say five, even 10 years, that only leaves me at like 30 or 32. And that still leaves just a whole bunch of time to do my own thing. So I've been able to think like even in this quarantine time, it's been able to give me the opportunity to think a lot about what could I do as a freelance position, whether it's like, cause I love the brand, whole brand identity design stuff. So I'm thinking that's a completely viable option. Um, same thing with like painting and illustration. Like that wasn't anything that I learned from Tommy and Josh, but learning how to market and how to sell those services. And like Tommy and Josh produce and Mason and now George produce like super high quality stuff for the podcast, but also for clients. Yeah. And that's a big selling factor is that, yeah, you're pay you're paying for these skilled people, but you're also paying for a breadth of high quality equipment that is going to help properly execute that vision. Like you could film it with just a basic handy cam and do all this stuff. But when you show up with like a Canon C200 and a bunch of boom mics and all these, and the good lights, high quality lights that make the client look good. It's um, it's a big deal, and it's definitely shown me that while I don't think gear or equipment necessarily should be a primary focus, it definitely does help inform kind of your credibility, um, but also just how, like Josh especially, just how stringent he is with um, like marketing himself and just how willing he is to kind of do whatever it takes to get a message or get a point across or just tell a story. That was definitely something that I took away from that. And then Tommy, I learned a lot from Tommy just listening to him talk on the phone because our desks faced opposite directions when I was at big media company. So he faced, he was looking this way and I would be looking the other way on opposite yeah. sides of the studio. And he would get a call sometimes of, um, uh, what's it called? Like a client would call him and, and like, as soon as he sees it as a client, he just, he picks it up and he knows exactly what he needs to say and exactly how to talk. And again, that was something that I'd never been exposed to before that, or never even realized that I hadn't been exposed to it. So then me hearing it that way, I was like, Oh, okay. I can take that and I can learn from that. And now, even when I like, I noticed that when I was talking to professors in, in school, trying to sell them on my idea to do a project, I found myself thinking like, oh, that's like Tommy would say something like that. So <laughs> it's uh, a lot of people skills, a lot of technical skills. And then obviously just the importance of just pure organization. Like I, I always thought I was organized, quotation marks, thought I was organized and then seeing all like the just the back catalog of stuff and how they've arranged everything like you could find you could ask for like the most randomly specific thing and you could probably find it in less than a minute I really? you, yeah like they've got yeah. it down pat i'm thinking well there's no reason that i can't do that just because i'm not just because i'm not a business or not a company right now doesn't mean i can't implore that and so, yeah, like I learned, I learned so much from them. Like it was an unpaid internship and I had to pay my way to get there. So I was, I was in debt going to and coming home from that trip monetarily. I yeah. was in debt, but in terms of the experience that I get, I could not have paid for that in any possible way. Like it was completely priceless. So it's something I'm going to oh, be grateful great. for forever is that experience. Yeah, that's great. Eh? And look, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I've been watching the podcast for a long time now, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a podcaster, I'm like looking to them as like almost like the benchmark. In other words, yeah. like okay, that's where I want to get to. That's the quality I want to get to. Mm -hmm. um, um, sometimes I'm not as pedantic about it as say perhaps yeah. Josh is very pedantic. Um, <laughs> pedantic is the right word. Yeah, but I mean, it's just I'm just amazed at what they are able to do. I mean, look, I mean, I've got a day job. Um, you know, I'm stuck. Uh, you know, life is so busy. 
but I still yeah. do the podcast. I mean, but I mean, like in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, geez, they're like doing one every day. Okay. Yeah. Plus they still got a business. Um, yeah. You know, it like blows my mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. I'm the only one that's in this at the moment, but, um, but I definitely, what I'm saying is I'm looking at them and saying, okay, well, that's where I want to be when I get there is another story. But that's, mm-hmm. I mean, the quality of stuff that they're putting out yeah. is um, amazing. And, I, you know, how they pivoted now, you know, working from home and then they're doing two, two live shows a day. And then, you know, all the stuff that they do is just like, mm-hmm. it's just going at a pace that, that, that um, amazes me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've got a lot of respect for them. Oh, it's, it's mean, obviously the content. I mean, I feel like, like you know, like for me, it's like um, you know when I'm listening, like you feel involved with the whole thing. You feel part of the, you know, the Gronk Squad and whatever. You're but I mean, they've just got such an amazing way of of um, making people feel included mm-hmm. in 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 the whole thing. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like you know, you know, like you're hanging and having drinks with your mates on a Friday afternoon. Well. Yeah. Day afternoon, my morning. I can't really drink because it's eight o'clock in the morning and I'm at work. Yeah, you've got a job. <laughs> Tuning into Friday night <laughs> drinks, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. Listen, I mean, they do an amazing job. I'm, I'm, they really, do. yeah, yeah. And I mean, are you thinking about maybe going back to Australia? I see. Even I, holiday I, or work or. I had planned to go back, like at the end of this year so that I would end up there in the summertime and I would yeah. stay for maybe two weeks, probably more of a vacation than anything. But, um, now that obviously won't be the case just because of the whole travel restriction. Yeah. So I like within the next two years, I'd like to go back cause I don't want to put a long time between trips going there and back. Um, but no, I'm going back there 100%. And I also want to go and see other states when I'm there too, because I was spent 99% of my time in the state of Victoria and then even more time in Melbourne. So I was really only in, um, like I was in Sydney for 36 hours basically, which was still super yeah. cool. But um, Yes, and you made I, the most of it. I made the most of it. Apparently. But I, I, I want to go and I want to see the outback. I want to, I want to see red dirt. I want to go up. Um, I'd love when I go back to see snakes because that was one thing that I didn't get the chance to see because it was winter time. <laughs> Saw nothing. Naturally. Don't worry, you can have that. You can have all the snakes you want. To. <laughs> that was that was that was like the my first introduction to Australia when I was a kid was like reading all these books about snakes and then talking about all that, and even even on like TV shows I would watch. Um, I think oh no he's he's actually he's South African Austin Stevens Snake Master. I watched him okay. a bunch as a kid. And yeah. uh he was super cool too. And he would I used to watch that show all the time. And um like he would go kind of all over the place and the ones when he was in Australia trying to find all these dangerous snakes were like my favorite. So I was like super obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> from that day on i don't plan on getting bitten by one because it's not exactly an ideal scenario but uh no <laughs> i'd love to see one in in person like the first time seeing a kangaroo in the flesh was like the coolest thing ever but a kangaroo sure. is just not as cool as a snake in my opinion a snake is just like oh, really it's up there yeah so i've got a friend who uh breeds uh ball pythons oh yeah so fortunately they're not um you know, venomous and all that kind of thing. So I've been slowly but surely desensitizing myself to my fear of snakes <laughs> by going to visit this guy and playing with these small um, ball pythons. I think he's got he's got over a hundred, eh? Wow. Um, different colours and everything. Yeah, I'll send you yeah. I'll send you some photos. Yeah. And have a look at it. Because I mean I mean there I can understand people um, you know, have the, they have the snake because of the beauty of the, you know, the color of the skin, and you know, they get these different um, markings, and they've got special names for them. Yeah. I mean, they've got like thousands and thousands of official colors, if you want to call it that, of all yeah. these different snakes. You know, you know that I can appreciate, mm-hmm. but like when you've got a brown, I mean, here in in in, in South Africa, we've got a thing which is called the black uh, black mamba, yeah, which is probably black. the most dangerous snake. I mean, and yeah. um, 
Yeah, dude, if I see one of those things, boy, um, I think you, I'll, you run, I'll you walk on water, I'll fly, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. Eh? I'll, yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I, yeah. they, we don't have, I think we only have one species of venomous snake in Canada, and it's a tiny, it's a tiny little rattlesnake about, I think, max size as they get maybe 12 inches. And it's a okay. mist little rattlesnake and the the poison, like the venom that it has is just not lethal at all. Like I think it makes it makes you vomit or something. But to like a fully grown adult male, it's not gonna hurt you or anything. Okay. Um so I think that's just another thing as well, is we're not exposed to the severity of these snakes as much as like having a having a like in Australia. we have these little garter snakes which are just uh, they don't even have teeth they just kind of just slither around and eat bugs and they okay. max they get is like 15 inches but having a garter snake in your backyard is a lot different than having a black mamba in your backyard so oh yeah 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 there's a bit of and um, i mean those black mambas this, are, this, are are quite aggressive as well because i mean yeah. a lot of snakes will just disappear yeah um if you if you come across them uh whereas like a black mamba is 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 very unpredictable um very aggressive yeah very very long and big and moves yeah. like lightning yeah you know what I mean? uh, yeah yeah anyway so let's <laughs> start starting <laughs> to hyperventilate here <laughs> talking about snakes yeah no i can't i can't uh. you know dylan i mean we have for an hour Oh, really? I'm not going to take, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, yeah? I'd say so. But before you go, I've got to ask you about your model in the background there hanging up mm. off the ceiling, your plane. What is that? That looks like a, is it a? Oh, B's I've got a bunch. So this one up here is a uh, B-52 Mitchell uh, warplane right, mod yeah. that I made when I was, okay. I was, I think I was 11 when I made that. And then there's a model. I don't know if you can see it, but it's up on top of that bookshelf right there. Yeah. And it's a yeah. model of the Queen Mary 2 cruise ship. All right. Which I made when I was 13, I think. Okay. And then right up there is a model of the the Blackbird. Oh, the, the uh, SO-71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's my favorite plane. That oh, it's wild, isn't it? It's like it's, it's like cool. yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I've read up on uh, you know the specs on that plane. I mean, it's just unbelievable what 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 it's, that plane was doing when they uh, when they made it in the seventies. I mean, shit. Yeah, unbelievable, it's insane. Yeah. So yeah, you've I'm always been into yeah. into model making and that kind of thing. Yeah, I I got into it from I I came across the Titanic movie somehow. And I'm like, man, that's a big boat. And it just sank to the bottom of the ocean. And I thought that was remarkably cool. So I went out and for my birthday that year, um, my parents got me a little model kit of the Titanic. And that was kind of my, like I, I always played with Lego as a kid. So I was always like yeah. making stuff. Um, yeah. And the model kits was kind of just a more, as you'd call it, like a more educational aspect to this making stuff and putting it together. So I got into that from building the little Titanic model. So I started off making that and then went into bigger and bigger and bigger things. And then obviously into the planes and all that. And I think that's what kind of made me um, go towards doing industrial design in school was having yeah. that background in doing the model kits. I haven't done one in a while, mainly because I can't go out and buy one now, but yeah, they're super. But cool. I actually find it very, I find it very therapeutic, you know, it's oh. bold. Oh, to build yeah. something, and it's quite satisfying, yeah. Because I mean, I've um, I've also I also used to build quite a lot when I was when I was a kid. Um, lots of you know army helicopters. I used to, I used yeah. I was mad over helicopters. I should have. I almost at one stage wanted to become a helicopter pilot, but really? um, you know, in South Africa, it's not it's not the same as being in the US or you know other other countries that have got um, you know large air force military air forces and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. Uh, you know, if 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 I if I could choose what's on my bucket list to achieve in my in my life, one is to get my helicopters license. But yeah, so I used to build helicopters and also lots of uh, fighter planes, oh, yeah. um, a lot of South African stuff. 
oh, or cool. not South African, but like a Mirage, Mirage F1, uh, CZ, uh, Mirage F3, Mirage 3, uh, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And then um, many years ago, I'd get given this um, Formula One car. It's a okay. 1980 Wolf. Okay. Uh, but this is not... I mean, this thing is so detailed. Like, to, like you had to build the engine, you had to put all the pipes in. It was like, I, I used to sit on a Sunday evening for like six hours, Sunday afternoon into the evening for six hours building this, just like the engine or the or the brakes or the you know whatever it was, the suspension and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that sounds awesome. Yeah. So that ah, it's just, I, I enjoy that. It's good fun. And then also, I got into radio-controlled aircraft. Oh yeah, and I built my I built my my first plane that I flew. I, I, I built myself, not completely from scratch. Um, I bought the fuselage, ready made, laser cuts and put together, and then I just got the wings, yeah, um, uh, polystyrene, uh, polystyrene covered in in, in plywood, uh, oh, yeah. uh, modeling plywood. Um, yeah, and I. I, I Took me about a year, maybe eighteen months to build that thing to finish it, yeah. and then I, you know, then I used to fly it, and then I crashed it. Uh. Bummer. Anyway, and then I just I decided I wasn't going to build another one. I was just going to. I bought a um, a kit, which yeah. um, which which I've still got. So it's actually in the in the back room here. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I need to I need to get up and start flying that thing again. Yeah, um, no kidding. It's also good fun. I mean, now's the perfect time. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll sneak into the park at night, and because yeah. yeah, like we only a lot of exercise here in South Africa between six and nine in the morning. Oh, yeah, check that out. Eh? So, if you want to keep people apart, yeah, get them to exercise for three hours a day, all at the same time. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. Anyway, dude, I'm gonna. I'm not going to keep you much longer. Um, oh, really? It's uh, 7 o'clock here in South Africa. And oh, really? I need to go and slap my kids. I mean, um, <laughs> feed my kids. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, listen, thanks so much for your time. It's great to chat. And we'll obviously, we'll continue staying in contact. I'll send you some, some photos and some links for you to check out. Awesome. Stuff no, that we spoke great. about. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome, man. So you awesome. must have a good Sweet. weekend. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, dude. Anytime, man. So awesome. anytime, the next time you're launching a book, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta <laughs> include first, me on your book tour. And uh yeah, and um yeah, like I said, we'll stay in contact, eh? Awesome. So it was great to catch up with Dylan. I was really glad to hear that he uh was able to finish his studies without any um, hassle. Uh, it was nice to hear that he's safe and sound in Canada. And uh, this will definitely not be the last time we catch up with Dylan. So stay in tune for the next conversation. So as always, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to rate on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, drop me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. And that, my friends, is the end. I'll catch you next time.